Good evening. A jury comes back with a verdict in the case of the killers of Marcus Aubrey. Um, guilty, guilty, guilty. Uh, we speak with uh, uh, Al Sharpton, Ben Crump, the uh, prosecutor in the case, and the defense attorneys uh, who all uh, met with the uh, press outside of the courthouse. Kevin Strickland, in prison since 1978, is 1979, is released. It was all wrong right from the beginning. He was released yesterday after all those years in prison. And Dr. Fauci says we can all enjoy a wonderful Thanksgiving. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the news for Wednesday, November 24th, 2021. Three men were convicted of murder today in the killing of Ahmed Arbery, a black man who was running empty-handed through a Georgia subdivision when the white strangers chased him, trapped him on a quiet street, and blasted him with a shotgun. And jurors 16, you have heard the verdicts read. Were these your verdicts then, and are these your verdicts now? Yes, sir. The jury has been pulled. Anything further from the defense? No, you are. From Greg McMichael? No, you are. From Mr. Bryan? The men all face a mandatory sentence of life in prison. The judge will decide whether their sentences are served with or without the possibility of parole. The jury deliberated for about 10 hours before convicting Greg McMichael, his son, Travis McMichael, and neighbor, William Roddy Bryan. As the first of 23 guilty verdicts were read, Arbery's father had to leave the courtroom after leaping up and shouting. Count one, malice murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Oh. I'm going to ask that whoever just made an outburst be removed from the court, please. I ask that there be no outbursts in the court, and I expect as much from the gallery. Please respect the court's um, desire for this as we move forward. The February 2020 slaying came to public attention as videos of the confrontation circulated, showing three white men chasing Arbery, a jogger who had not committed any crime for five minutes until blocking him between two vehicles. One was a pickup truck driven by William Roddy Bryan. In the ensuing confrontation, the unarmed Arbery was shot three times with a shotgun wielded by Travis McMichael, whose father, Gregory McMichael, was also convicted of felony murder. The father and son told police they suspected Arbery was a fleeing burglar, but the prosecution argued that the men provoked the fatal confrontation and there was no evidence Arbery committed any crimes in the neighborhood. Outside the courthouse, the Reverend Al Sharpton said it was a great day for Brunswick, Georgia and America. You took a young unarmed boy that they thought was worthless and you put his name in history today. Years from now, decades from now, they'll be talking about a boy named Ahmed Aubrey that taught this country what justice looks like. And attorney Ben Crump added, it's not just black parents who should be relieved by the verdict. Every parent in America can take solace in knowing that we have an example of how to deal with tragedy and grief when they look at the example of Marcus Aubrey and Wanda Cooper, and we should applaud them. They should be applauded. Wanda Cooper is Ahmed Arbery's mother. Sharpton added the Arbery family will have a solemn Thanksgiving this year, but better than it would have been because of prosecutors who won the convictions. We want to thank the prosecutors. Right. Yeah. 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 They stood yeah. 
and fought for this family. Tomorrow, in all our joy today, there will be an empty chair at Wanda's table. Ahmed would not be at Thanksgiving tomorrow, but she can look at that chair and say to Ahmed, I fought a good fight. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And I yeah. got you some justice. We can't fill that chair for you, Wanda, but we can say that you were mother above all mothers. You fought for your son. And Marcus, you fought for your son. And even though it'll be a somber, a sober and solemn Thanksgiving, you can thank God you didn't let your boy down. One of those prosecutors is Linda Denkowski, whose closing arguments made a measured but powerful case for conviction that devastated the defense argument that the defendants were just trying to defend themselves. And the verdict today was a verdict based on the facts, yes. based on the evidence. Yes. And that was our goal, was to yes. bring that to that jury so That's that they fine. could do the right did. thing. Because the jury system works in this country. Mm. And when you present the truth to people and they Come can on. see it, Right. They will do the right thing. Sure? That's and right. that's what Come this jury on, did today right. in getting justice for Ahmaud Arbery. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Gwynn County Prosecutor Linda Denkowski. Ahmed Arbery's father, Marcus, says the verdict was a message that lynch mobs, uh, two lynch mobs, that black lives and all lives matter. Black kill life don't matter. That's right. For real, all life matter. All life. Yes. Not just black children. We don't want to see nobody go through this. Amen. I don't want to see no daddy watch a kid get lynched and shot down like that. That's right, Ma. So it's all our problem. It's all our problem. So, hey, let's keep fighting. Amen. Let's keep doing it and making this place a better place for all human beings. Amen. All human beings. Amen. Everybody. Amen. Love everybody. Love everybody. All human beings need to be treated equally. Yeah. Ahmed Aubrey's father, Marcus Aubrey, Travis McMichael's defense attorneys, Jason Sheffield and Bob Rubin, also spoke. They said although they were disappointed in the verdict, they had faith in the jury system. We understand more than you know how valuable it is to have people come together, peacefully assemble, share their voices, share what's in their hearts, share what's in their minds. This is a very difficult day for Travis McMichael and Greg McMichael. These are two men who honestly believe that what they were doing was the right thing to do. However, the Glenn County jury has spoken, they have found them guilty, and they will be sentenced. And that is a very disappointing and sad verdict for myself and for Bob and for our team. But we also recognize that this is a day of celebration for the Arbery family. We cannot tear our eyes away from the way that they feel about this. And we understand that they feel they have gotten justice today. We respect that, we honor that because we honor this jury trial system. We haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. He was taken back to the Glen County Jail. Um, he was very stoic. Uh, I was right next to him, feeling his body next to mine, and uh, was ready for him to, to react, and I really didn't feel any reaction. He's a strong man. He understood the, the uh, potential consequences in this, and he, um, whatever he was feeling, he was holding into himself. 
And that's Travis McMichael's defense attorneys, Jason Sheffield and Bob Rubin. A controversy had erupted during the trial as defense uh, defense attorney Kevin Goh um, uh, asked for a mistrial after Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton sat in the courtroom, sparking protests outside the court by 100 religious leaders uh, from various denominations. The defense attorney had made the argument that this was somehow prejudicing prejudicing or scaring or frightening the jury to have the uh, famous men of the cloth in the courthouse. Uh, nothing really came of those demands for a mistrial. And President Joe Biden said Ahmed Arbery's murder is a devastating reminder of how far we have to go in the fight for racial justice in this country. Biden said Arbery should be here today celebrating the holidays with his family. He added that while the guilty verdicts reflect our justice system doing its job, that alone is not enough. He called on the country to recommit to building a future of unity and shared strength where no one fears violence because of the color of their skin. And a Kansas City man, and this is a related story uh, in a sense, who was jailed for more than 40 years for three murders, was released from prison yesterday after a judge ruled that he was wrongfully convicted in 1979. Kevin Strickland, who's 62, has always maintained that he was home watching television and had nothing to do with the killings, which happened when he was 18 years old. He learned of the decision when the news scrolled across the television screen as he was watching a soap opera in prison. He said the inmates began screaming. That's how I learned. You saw your own name on the screen? In the picture, yes. And then other inmates started hollering. And I heard them beating on walls and carrying on. What would you say to the judge? Thank you for reviewing all the no evidence that was against me to begin with. I really appreciate him taking his time to listen and understand what really happened in 1978 and how... You know, I was an easy mark, and the police took advantage of it. And that's Kevin Strickland, who was released from prison. He had been held since 1979 in western Missouri. Judge James Welch, a retired Missouri Court of Appeals judge, ruled after a three-day evidentiary hearing requested by a Jackson County prosecutor who said evidence used to convict Strickland had been recanted or disproven. Strickland was convicted in the deaths of Larry Ingram, John Walker, and Sherry Black at a home in Kansas City. All the victims were in their 20s. Cynthia Douglas, the only person to survive the April 25th, 1978 shootings, says she was pressured by police to choose Strickland and tried for years to alert political and legal experts. Strickland is black and his first trial ended in a hung jury when the only black juror, a woman, held out for acquittal. After his second trial in 1979, he was convicted by an all-white jury of one count of capital murder and two counts of second-degree murder. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. A federal jury yesterday found three of the nation's largest pharmacy chains, CVS, Walgreens, and Walmart, were liable for helping fuel the U.S. opioid crisis. Jurors concluded that the pharmacies contributed to a so-called public nuisance in Lake and Trumbull counties in Ohio by selling and dispensing huge quantities of prescription pain kill pills, an argument that has been turned down in previous cases but saw a new life yesterday. Gerald Posner is author of Pharma, Greed, Lies, and the Poisoning of America. He said today, this is a milestone legal ruling. Posner spoke with WBAI. These have been one of the, the missing elements. So, you know, you're right. You hear about the manufacturers and Purdue and all, and uh, you hear about the FDA being too behind the eight ball and not having done enough in terms of uh, regulation. That's absolutely true. They're to blame. 
and then the overprescribing doctors and the pill mills. But the pharmacy sort of, you know, they they avoided much of the limelight, as did the distributors like McKesson and Marisource Bergen and others. They've now come into full like spotlight on them, especially with CVS, Walgreens, and Walmart in this decision in Ohio with two counties. It's the first one to get to a trial. The pharmacies refused to settle, and they were being charged with having ignored evidence of sort of fake prescriptions over years and not having done enough internally to put in regulations to control the flood of opioids into the communities in which they were being overprescribed. Pharmacy's defense was, we were just filling doctors' prescriptions, but the case against them was that they had become a public nuisance, and that's what the jury found. It's a major legal ruling if it can survive an appeal. A pharmacy is a public nuisance. In the way that they behaved on this, some of the prosecutors and some of the attorneys have tried to be creative in bringing some justice in the opioid crisis for victims. And it's not just on the pharmacies, but Attorney General uh, in Oklahoma had argued that Johnson & Johnson and other companies, but J&J was the only one that went to trial, had created a public nuisance. And that law had never been applied before to a drug company. They successfully made that case. They got a $500 million judgment against J&J, and that was recently overturned in an appellate court. Now you have it raised again in a jury trial in which the jury followed the law given by the judge, said these pharmacies created a public nuisance by their complete disregard of the increasing addiction rates and their failure to put in any safeguards other than just talking about it. Now the question is, will it survive an appeal or not? And that's an open question. We just don't know. That's saying a pharmacy in this case is similar to a crack house down the street owned by a landlord who doesn't do anything about it. A landlord down the street isn't doing anything about it and is just being negligent and knows that the crack house is continuing to flourish and exist and ruin people's lives. In this case, what the pharmacies were doing is these pharmacy chains watched the pills sort of flow out of their doors. They saw them cause harm and they failed to take action as required by the law in many instances. So these companies actually responded to the flood of opioids by opening up more locations. The communities got flooded with pills. We're talking about small towns, and especially in these two counties in Ohio that were the first ones to bring the case. Five and six times the number of pills than the number of people who would live there. They really facilitated the flow of opioids into an illegal secondary market because so many prescriptions were being written and filled by these pharmacies against Walmart, Walgreens, and CVS that they ended up being diverted into the illegal market. And this is an overdue reckoning in my view for what would be viewed as sort of their role in having created this public nuisance. They clearly deny it and they're going to fight it. When I saw this come in, I was pleasantly surprised that this ruling came. The Sacklers, of course, the the elder Sackler was famous for his uh, schemes in order to pump up demand for the drugs he was That's selling. Right. Arthur Sackler, the oldest of the three psychiatrist brothers, created modern advertising as it is uh, in terms of the drug industry in the United States. By taking a drug in the 1950s for his first client, Merck, he took $10 million, which was a lot of money then, and made it the number one selling antibiotic in the country, and then went on to make Valium the number one selling drug when it came out as a benzodiazepine and Librium, its earlier cousin. So he was responsible for a mother's little helper era of the 1950s. That's right. It's very interesting because, you know, the drug industry's history, the DNA, and I look at it in terms of the history of the drug industry, this is their DNA, meaning that they come up with a drug, 
that becomes a big blockbuster for a while. And especially if it happens to be a drug that has some addictive qualities to it. In the 60s, diet pills were big, methamphetamine. Arthur Sackler wanted what he called the equivalent of a happy pill, a pill that you could take every day that you didn't have to be sick for, that just made you feel better. Late 50s, early 60s. The holy grail for Sackler and others was the idea of a pill that you could take every day, say, yeah, it makes me feel better about life a little bit, and you didn't have to be sick to take it. For them, that was a home run. And that is uh, Gerald Posner. He's the um, uh, Walmart. He's the author of uh, Pharma, Greed, Lies, and the Poisoning of America. A Walmart spokesman blasted the verdict and criticized the way the trial was handled by Judge Don Polster, who has managed much of the federal opioid litigation now underway in the United States. Walmart's statement said, we will appeal this flawed verdict, which is a reflection of a trial that was engineered to favor the plaintiff's attorneys and was riddled with remarkable legal and factual mistakes. The the opioid crisis has killed over 100,000 people in the United States through overdose deaths last year, similar to the number who die from diabetes complications, which is the seventh cause of death in the country. And Dr. Anthony Fauci, a senior COVID advisor to the president, says the future is hopeful that the COVID pandemic will be reduced in intensity uh, next year to become endemic in the United States. But he adds that it depends on what Americans do to combat the virus. Of a deceleration and you get below the pandemic phase, that means the virus is still present, but it isn't overwhelming the system of health care It's not disrupting our normal social interactions and our economic interactions, but it hasn't disappeared. We barely even notice it, sort of like those kind of infections in the community that are there. It makes a few people sick, but it doesn't impact what we do. Or is it going to be high enough that we're always going to have to be careful that we're going to get a resurgence? And that's Dr. Anthony Fauci, who went on to tell the Bipartisan Policy Center that the public can feel good about enjoying a typical Thanksgiving, Christmas, and other holidays uh, with your family and close friends. You can feel good about enjoying a typical Thanksgiving, Christmas with your family and close friends. We unfortunately still have a dynamics of uh, infection in the community of about 70,000 new cases per day. So when you go to indoor congregate settings, go the extra mile, be safe, wear a mask. But when you're with your family at home, goodness, enjoy it with your parents, your children, your grandparents. There's no reason not to do that. This will end, Bill. We are not going to be going through this indefinitely. How quickly we get to the end depends on us. And Dr. Anthony Fauci, a senior COVID advisor to the president, almost 200 million Americans were considered fully vaccinated, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, including 70 percent of adults and 86 percent of those aged 65 and older. Still, almost 60 million Americans aged 12 and older remain unvaccinated, leaving some worried about their holiday plans.
And the fur was flying during questions to the prime minister in the British Parliament. Labour Party leader Keir Starmer laid into Prime Minister Boris Johnson, accusing Johnson of failing to properly manage the United Kingdom's social safety net, while Johnson accused Starmer of being befuddled and said Labour didn't have the guts to fix the social care system when in power. Mr Speaker, there's no getting away from it. Working people are being asked to pay twice. During their working lives, they'll pay much more tax in national insurance, whilst those living off wealth are protected. And then when they retire, Mr Speaker, they face having to sell their home when the wealthiest won't have to do so. It's a classic con game. A Covent Garden pickpocketing operation. The Prime Minister's the front man, distracting people with wild promises and panto speeches, whilst his Chancellor dips his hand in their pocket. But now, but now the Prime Minister's routine is falling flat. His Chancellor is worried that people are getting wise. His backbenchers say it's embarrassing, your words. people in Downing Street tell the BBC it's just not working. Is everything okay, Prime Minister? Prime Minister! Well, Mr Speaker, I I tell you what's not working. It's that line of attack. Uh, And if we listened to him, we would all still be in lockdown, Mr Speaker. And that was Prime Minister Boris Johnson of the United Kingdom being questioned by Labour Party leader Keir Stormer in Parliament in their regular questioning sessions in which everybody gets to ask a question of the Prime Minister. Is everything okay? And finally... Thanksgiving is almost here, and so is the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. The parade's famous balloons were inflated today. The event at 72nd Street and Columbus Avenue on the Upper West Side winds around the Museum of Natural History and is open to the public. The the balloons already got a test flight at City Field earlier this month. Everyone aged 12 years and older must show their proof of COVID-19 vaccination. Children under 12 years old can attend with a fully vaccinated adult. And that's some of the news for Wednesday, November 24th, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry, our engineers, Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.